ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಮ್ಯಹಂ ಸೊ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷಾನುಭೂತಿ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯಸ್ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷಾನುಭೂತಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಆನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಡನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಒನ್ ಅಹಂ ಶಬ್ದ ಅಹಂ ಶಬ್ದೇನ ವಿಖ್ಯಾತ ಏಕ ಸ್ಥಿತ ಪರ ಏಕ ಸ್ಥಿತ ಪರ ಸ್ಥೂಲತ್ವನೇಕೇಹ ಕುಮನ್ ಕಥಂ ಸ್ಯಾದೇಹ ಕುಮನ್ ಅಹಂ ಶಬ್ದೇನ ವಿಖ್ಯಾತ ಏಕೈವಸ್ಥಿತ ಪರ ವ್ಯಾಟ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಇಂಡಿಕೇಟೆಡ್ ಅರ್ ಡಿನೋಟೆಡ್ ಬೈ ದಿ ವರ್ಡ್ ಬೈ ದಿ ಟರ್ಮ್ ಐ ಐ ಮೀನ್ ಬೈ ದಿ ವರ್ಟಿಕಲ್ ಐ ದಟ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಐ ಮೈ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಒನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸೆಂಡೆಂಟ್ ಪರಹ ದಟ್ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಓನ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸೆಂಡೆಂಟ್ ಗ್ಲೋರಿ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ಗ್ರೋಸ್ ಗ್ರೋಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಸೆನ್ಸ್ ದಟ್ ಯು ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ವೆರಿ ಫ್ಯಾಟ್ ಆರ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅಗ್ಲಿ ನಾಟ್ ಇನ್ ದಟ್ ಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಇನ್ ದಟ್ ಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಗ್ರೋಸ್ ಸ್ಥೂಲ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಗ್ರೋಸ್ ಆರ್ ಫಿಸಿಕಲ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಮೆನಿ ಫೋಲ್ಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಮೇಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೆನಿ ಪಾರ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ದೇರ್ ಆರ್ ಮೆನಿ ಬಾಡೀಸ್ ದಿ ಐ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಈಸ್ ಒನ್ ಸೊ ಹೌ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಬಿ ದಿ ಬಾಡಿ ದಟ್ಸ್ ದಿ ಕ್ವೆಶನ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ದಿ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ವಾಟ್ಸ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ದ ಹೋಲ್ ಅನಾಲಿಸಿಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಬೀನ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಫಾರ್ ಕ್ವೈಟ್ ಸಮ್ ಟೈಮ್ ನಾವ್ ಇಸ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ವಿಶಿಂಗ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಿ ನಾಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಇಸ್ ಆತ್ಮ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ನಾಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಇಸ್ ಅನಾತ್ಮ ನಾಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಪ್ರೈಮರಿಲಿ ದ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಮ್ ಇಸ್ ವಿತ್ ದಿ ಬಾಡಿ ವಿ ಕನ್ಸಿಡರ್ ದಿ ಬಾಡಿ ಟು ಬಿ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವೆನ್ ಐ ಸೇ ಐ ಐ ಯೂಶ್ವಲಿ ಇಂಡಿಕೇಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಮೀ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಹೂ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಸೊ ಟು ಡಿಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ವಿಶ್ ಮೈ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದಿ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಟಾಸ್ಕ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಕ್ಚುಲಿ ದಿ ಮೇಜರ್ ಟಾಸ್ಕ್ ಒನ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಡನ್ ಒನ್ಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಕನ್ವಿನ್ಸ್ಡ್ ವಿ ಬಿಗಿನ್ ಟು ಅಂಡರ್ಸ್ಟ್ಯಾಂಡ್ ವಿ ಬಿಗಿನ್ ಟು ಸೀ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ದಿ ಬಾಡಿ ರೆಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಇಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಆಲ್ ದಟ್ ಡಿಫಿಕಲ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ಫ್ಯಾಕ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ಗೀತಾ ದಟ್ಸ್ ಟ್ರೂ ಇನ್ ಗೀತಾ ಅರ್ಜುನ ಆಸ್ಕ್ಸ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ which is easier the path of devotion to god or the path of knowledge this one the path of knowledge is this easier or is devotion to god easier conventional religion love and worship and adore god and krishna says the path of worship of god devotion to god is easier why it's only easier for one reason and the one reason is he says avyakta hi gatir dukham dehavad bhiravapyate the path of the unmanifest the path of knowledge is a little difficult for those who are 
who are very closely identified with the body, who think that I am this body. What is this body? Me. And what am I? This body. Both ways. Who am I? This body. And what is this body? That's me. So those who are strongly attached, I guess most of us are in some way or the other, for them it's a little difficult. That's why the first, the major effort is to make us see that what is the nature of the self? Who are we really? Take a look first. We don't really know who we are. We don't really know what's within us. Take a look first and you will begin to appreciate You'll begin to appreciate it for yourself that you are not the body. It's a remarkable thing when you begin to see it for the first time. And afterwards it becomes very natural. But that I am not the body, though I am right here in the body. And I function through the body. And I transact in the world through the body. And yet I am not this particular this body. I, I, I transcend it. The word transcend is also important. Transcend does not mean that here is the body and you, you are somewhere else. It's not that. It's not like that you have some kind of smoky, spooky essence outside the body. You are right here in the body and yet you are untouched by the body. It's like, this, it's like space. Everything is in space but space is not touched by anything. The Sanskrit word is very, very precise. Asanga. Here transcend would mean asanga. Asanga means untouched, unattached. So... We have to look within. It's most important. Vedanta, the path of spirituality. Why Vedanta? The path of spirituality is a path where we, you have to take a look within and to see what is there within us. This, I'm reminded of this story about the King Janaka, who was a philosopher king and a very uh, beloved figure in Indian mythology. So... The story goes that King Janaka, who was an enlightened person and everything, but he did something wrong sometime and he had bad karma and so he had to go to heaven. Or he had to go to hell. Not bad karma. Bad karma takes you to hell. If you're naughty, <laughs> naughty it takes you to hell. And if you're particularly good, you go to heaven. But because on the whole, Janaka was a good fellow, his uh, tour in hell was a very brief one. He just had to go there and see hell for himself, stay for some time and come back. So he went there. He said, all right, that's a per perfectly all right, I'll, I'll go there. And he goes there, and it's a pretty nasty place, as you can imagine. But his tourist tour of hell is up very soon, because his faults were very minor. Now, when he's about to pack up and leave hell, he hears people shouting and crying all around. He asks, what is this? And they tell him it's all the poor tortured souls in heaven, uh, in hell. The, 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 the sinners who are in hell, they are all shouting. What are they shouting about? You see, they were suffering. But when you came here, your very presence was a cooling presence. You know, They felt peace. They felt good after a very long time. And now, now they don't want you to leave. And so Janaka says, Okay, if my presence uh, is of help to them, so many suffering souls feel peace, I'm perfectly willing to stay in hell. It, it, there's no problem here. The point is, we carry our own heaven and hell with us. You see, Janaka, a person like Janaka who is a sage, a saint, so if by chance he does happen to drop into hell, he turns into heaven. 
it turns into a place of peace and quietness and serenity, at least for that particular period of time and in his company. And I'm sure some of these superstars in hell right there, if they were to go to he heaven, they would quickly turn he heaven into hell. Forgotten. There are lines by Milton, um, very beautiful. It's something like this. I'm paraphrasing. Nowhere close to the original. Um, a man all within himself can make a hell of heaven and a heaven of hell. Mm. With what we carry within ourselves, so we need to look into ourselves. A couple of more heaven and hell stories. There are endless heaven and hell stories, but a couple of more. There's this um, uh, story about a Japanese warrior, a samurai, who went to a Zen monk and said, teach me about heaven and teach me about hell. Teach me about heaven and hell. And the Zen monk snapped at him, said, I have no time for fools like you. Get out of my sight. And at first the samurai warrior couldn't believe his ears. He used to carry the Japanese the samurai sword, the, the, the katana, and he's, he went, flew into a rage and he said, how dare you speak to me like that? And he drew his sword. Don't you know I can cut off your head in, 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 in a blink of an eye? And the monk replied calmly, that is hell. What you're doing right now, that is hell. The warrior stopped, the samurai stopped, thunderstruck. Immediately, he pushed the sword back into the scabbard and he bowed low, like the Japanese do. And he said, I am very sorry, please forgive me. And the monk said, that is heaven. He wanted to be taught about heaven and hell. And the other story <laughs> concerns Swami Vivekananda, it's a true story in this country. Once he was going by train and this gentleman came up to him and said, and I started talking to him and Swami Vivekananda started speaking about Vedanta and the doctrines. And the man, like a good, um, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christian in those days, late 19th century, he said, you, sir, are going to go to hell <laughs> with these beliefs. Uh, then Swami Vivekananda said, where will you go? Why? To heaven, of course. And Swamiji said, I pick hell. I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to hell. I'll go to hell. But the point is to look within. Who am I? And this, this um, verse tells us, Aham Shabdena Vikyata. That which is very well known. The word I is the most commonly used word. We all say I. But what does the word I refer to? I is a word, a term, a linguistic term. When I say glass, the word glass, it's a word, but it refers to this thing. When I say book, book is a word, but it refers to this thing. When we say I, what does it refer to? Does it refer to this body? That's what we usually say, I, this body. And this verse tries to tell us it cannot be so. One reason, he says, ekaha, it's one. Now, what does that mean? Let's consider that. This world is full of diversity. So many things, so many people. Take every sense organ. All the things that you see in this room, if you start counting, 
hundreds of things, people, colors, shapes, objects, hundreds. You can count so many things in this very room. All of them, all the diversity is reduced to one thing, light, which you see with your eyes. All the smells that we smell, all kinds of fragrances and good smells and bad smells, all of that is sensed by one sense organ, the nose. All the sound, the variety of sounds that we experience, that we hear throughout the day, throughout our lives, all of that finally is reduced to sound which comes to the ears, the same sense organ, the auditory sense organ, one sense organ. Entire plurality, the multitude of sounds is reduced to that one sense organ. And so on. The five sense organs, they sense a vast multitude in the world and they reduce it to sense inputs. And all the five sense organs with all their inputs, it all comes down to the mind. Finally comes to the mind, the one internal organ, it's called Antakkarana in Vedanta, the internal organ. All of it comes to the mind. See, all of different kinds of impulses poured into the mind. And all the thoughts in the mind, thousands of thoughts in the mind, all of them are presented to you, the one I. Think about it. The, the extent, the spectrum of it. The one I is experiencing thousands and thousands of thoughts. Memories, ideas, feelings in one day. All those thoughts refer to millions and millions of sense inputs from five sense organs. And also to memories which are dredged up from the past. And each sense organ again synthesizes millions and millions of external inputs coming into the sense organ. All of that, this enormous diversity is finally presented to one. Which is the one, the I. You, the I. There's enormous diversity in the world outside. There's enormous diversity in this body. So many parts of the body, so many organs of the body's body, so many sense organs, so many things happening in the body, so much diversity in the mind. All of them are, have enormous diversity, but all of it is presented to one unit, you. Now the argument here is, do you see the enormous difference between you and the rest of it? You are one. The argument, you know, it goes around this just one term, one. You are one. The enormity of the world around you, the diversity is presented to you. A diversity, the multitudes are presented before you, the one. So you are one. The world is many, the body is divided into many parts and many functions, sense organs, mind, so many things are going on. All of them are diverse. You, the one, how can you be the many? This is the argument. You the one, how can you be the many? These are clearly two opposite things. So how can this one be the body? Again, let's consider. In Vedanta they call it Aham Idam Viveka. I, Aham means I. In Sanskrit, Aham means I. The vertical. And Idam Idam means this. Viveka, differentiation. Let's do different, let's separate the I from the this. And somebody says, Swami, why separate? We are going towards oneness, non-duality, non-difference. It's not child's play. Non-duality is not child's play. 
Let, you have to take it very carefully, step by step. Otherwise, it just degenerates into emotion. It has to be understood. And the first step in understanding is to see clearly. Now, see clearly in this way. I and this. The I, you, are constant steady with respect to the this. The this, the world is changing before your very eyes, isn't it? Yesterday's news is not today's news. Yesterday's news is stale. Why? Because the world has changed. The body is changing before your very eyes. In, before you, the one, the body is constantly changing. From babyhood to childhood to teenage to youth to middle age to old age and so on. It is changing so very clear. The one unchanging sees the changing body. And the mind, well, don't ask about it. It's changing every moment, moment to moment. I'm feeling great. I'm on top of the world. It's wonderful. Within, it won't even take one minute to feel down in the dumps. Some minor problem comes up and I'm absolutely devastated. Mind changes so fast. To whom does this change appear? To you, the unchanging. Clearly you knew the mind when it was happy and on top of the world. Clearly you are aware of the depressed mind now. The same you. I am unchanging. This. What is this? The world is this. The body is this. Changing. World is changing. Body is changing. Inside the body, the inner, private, first person life, the mind is this. Changing. The this, the idam, the this is always changing. Continuously changing. The I is the unchanging. One point. I'm going to give you five points now. Second, the I and the idam, the I and the this, notice something interesting about it. The I is always internal. The this is always external. External to what? External to the I. Have you ever noticed that when you say I, it's always you here and that this is always out there. This world, where is the I? This body, where is the eye? Here. I never do it the other way around. Here is the eye and the body is here. No. The this is always external to the eye. We are differentiating between I and this. We are seeing clearly. We are understanding but also seeing clearly. Do you clearly see that the eye is internal and the, and the this is always external to the eye? Even the mind... Follow this carefully. The mind, this idea, this emotion, this feeling, this memory, and the I to which it occurs, the I will feel that the mind is exterior to it. It is observing the mind. So the I is always internal. The, the this is always external. The Sanskrit words are quite beautiful. Antaranga bahiranga. Aham is antaranga, inner. Idam, this, is bahiranga, external. Second point. Don't forget the first one. The I is unchanging and this is always changing. The I is internal, the, the this is external. The next one is very interesting. The experience of the this 
world, body, mind. It always depends on you, the I. Every experience that we have is first, I myself, I am experiencing this room. I am experiencing a pain in the body. I am experiencing a thought in the mind. First, I. So in every experience, your own existence comes first. And the ex existence of the this, this world, this body, this mind, it comes next. In the I and the this, your existence is primary. The existence of the this is secondary. Point three. Point four. The I and the this, we are trying to see them clearly apart, different, how, how they are very different. The I is always the knower, the drashta, the seer, the experiencer. The this is always the seen. So I, you are always seeing what this world, this person, this object, this thought, this feeling. And the world, this never sees you. You will say, that's wrong Swami. Here we are all sitting and looking at you, so we are seeing you. Are you really? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? The body. You always see the this. Do you not see the body as this? Here is this Swami. What do you mean this, by this Swami? This body, you are seeing the body. You can hear the voice. You can look at my behavior, you can see the behavior. If you are telepaths, you can even see my thoughts. It's these thoughts. You never ever see the conscious person behind. Never. Even the most skilled telepath does not see the consciousness. Because the consciousness is the telepath. The I is always the seer. The this is always seen. Fourth point. And the fifth point. It is in the vision of the I, in the experience of the I, in your experience, that the this is born, that the this changes, develops, grows, decays, and the this dies. What does that mean? It is in your experience that things come into existence. People come into existence, events happen. Dreams come into existence and disappear. So things come into existence. They dance out their play before, before you. And then they disappear. So the eye is the, is the one which watches the emergence, the dance and the disappearance of the this. Five points. One, the eye is unchanging. I means not this one. It means a vertical eye. The I, you, you are unchanging with respect to the this. The this is continuously changing. You can say, but no Swami, is that true? I have changed so much. I mean, after coming to the Vedanta classes, I have changed so much. <laughs> really, what has changed? If, are you aware of the change in yourself? Of course, that's why I'm telling you. If you are aware of the change, the change must be either in the body or in the mind or the intellect or the memory or in the character or in your behavior or in your thought patterns, all of which is for you, this. So I am unchanging. The this continuously changes, whether it's the body or my thoughts. 
then I am internal always and this is always external to me and then I am always the primary. It's I come first and in my existence, in my awareness, in my experience that this comes. And then I am always the subject, the drashta, that this is always the object, the scene. Instead of saying drashta and drishya, no, seer and scene, let us use the word subject and object. I am always the subject of all experience and this is always the object. Yes. And then finally, to me alone appears the dance of the this, this entire universe, all its events. It appears before you, it plays out its existence before you and it disappears before you. If this is so, where would you put the body? The body is very clearly in the category of the this. I the unchanging, this the changing body. How can I be the same? I the internal, this the external body. Body external to me, the internal I. How can I be the body? I that who am aware of the body. In my awareness the body exists. You see the, how it's changing, re-educating our thinking process. We are... Uh, we are conditioned to think of this body is with consciousness. Advaita is subtly or not so subtly re-educating us to think that I am consciousness with the body. Isn't it true? When you go to sleep, this body slips out of your awareness and you have a dream and a dream world and a dream body. When you go into deep sleep, neither dreams nor waking. When you come back to waking, this body comes into your awareness. How can you, the awareness, be the body? If you were the body, you would always be aware of this body only. So, this body comes in my awareness. I am fundamental. The body comes and goes in my awareness. Even while you are awake, if you are fully engaged in something, a healthy body, they define a healthy body as that which you are not aware of. The body which announces its presence again and again is an unhealthy body. So, body is unhealthy, you are not aware of the body even, sometimes when you are deeply engaged in something, some work or something. How can I be the body? It appears and disappears in my consciousness, it, it, it is, um, depends on my awareness, my existence. The body's awareness depends on that, it's, I am primary. And then it is in my uh, awareness that the body exists, changes, and one day will die also. I will still be aware of that. That's the claim of Vedanta. How can I be the body? Five points, hammering again and again and again. One understanding. How can I be the body? I am right here in the body. We are not denying the body. But we are seeing a clarity, a, a seeing, a kind of seeing so that we see the body for what it is, an object. Not me. All right. This I is the most important thing. Vedanta asks you to focus your awareness not on the world, not on the body, not even on the breath. When are you going to teach us the breathing meditation, Swami? Never. <laughs> not on the breath. So we're going to watch our thoughts. 
Yes, but not for the sake of the thoughts. You see, all meditation in Vedanta, which we will see, there will be 15 wonderful techniques of meditation coming up, no less than 15. But all of them, whatever they are, they all turn your attention back to you yourself. You see, the most incredible thing in our experience is our own existence, which we don't pay any attention to. We always pay attention to something else. In the Bhagavatam, there's a story which Sri Ramakrishna was fond of. The story is, in the river at night, a full moon is reflected in the river. And the fishes in the river, they see the full moon reflected in the river and they play with it, thinking that it's a new kind of fish. They don't realize two things. One, it is not a fish. And second, it's not really there. It's way up there. So they play with it. And when daylight comes, the moon disappears. And so the fish weep. Where did our friend go? The friend was never really there. And the friend was not like them, though it appeared amongst them. Now, the story is usually applied to the avatar. Sri Ramakrishna says that, uh, that avatar comes like a human being. Jesus or Krishna or Ramakrishna, Chaitanya. They come among us and they look like human beings. Extraordinary human beings, but still, they look very human. And we are like the fish who played with the moon. Who thought that here's another person, a nice guy to hang out with. But... It's only when they are gone that those who were close to him who recognized who this person was that they begin to understand and they are, they are left with wonder even the, the disciples of Ramakrishna those who, are, who recognized him for what he was. Nowadays it's very easy to see his, say he's an avatar or uh, incarnation of God because we, know neither, uh, we do not know what God is nor what an incarnation is. So it's uh, cheap to use words. But those who did they, they lived out the rest of their lives in wonder. Whom did we play with? Who was amongst us? And who disappeared with the, with the coming of dawn? So, that's the story. It's a beautiful story. But it can be applied to our case right now, to an Advaita, non-dual Vedanta. The I, which you feel right now, just think within, the I, the ego, it's one thought, one function of the mind among many. There is the ego, there is memory, there are desires, there is uh, happiness, misery, there are ideas. And there is this body and there is this world. So among many things there is the ego. But the ego is a reflection of something. Something much more profound than any of this. It's the reflection of the moon. The ego is not the real eye. Just as the reflection of the moon is not the real moon. But it points to the moon. What does that I point to? Paraha, the transcendent. You, the spiritual reality. Catch hold of the I. That's why Raman Maharshi, the great sage of Arunachala, his technique, who am I? He doesn't want an answer. He'll be really annoyed if you started giving him a long answer. Who am I? I am Mr. So-and-so and I stay here and, and these are my degrees and this is the, my, um, my successes and failures in life and my ambitions and plans for the future. No, he does not want to hear all that. Who are you apart from all of that? He does not want the reflected moon. He's speaking about the real moon. The reflected moon we have. Concentrate on the reflected moon. He said, look at the reflected moon and trace it back to the real moon. That's what he's saying here. 
Bhagavata, the story of the moon and the fish. It's very beautiful. So, basic point is, how can the body be the real I? Then, verse number 32. Aham drashtritaya siddho Aham drashtritaya siddho Deho drishyataya sthitaha Deho drishyataya sthitaha Mamayam iti nirdeshat Mamayam iti nirdeshat Katham syaddeha kafpuman Katham syaddeha kafpuman I am the knower, drashta. The body is the known and drishya, an object. You can see a variation on the same argument. Very clearly, I am the knower of the body. As I am the knower of the world, I know the glass. Do I say, I am the glass? No. That's, that would be silly. I know the body, but I say, I am the body. I'm sure you have a hundred objections to saying that. Yeah, but, you say, yeah, but. Uh, the student in Shankaracharya's Upadesha Sahasri, when Shankaracharya uses this, this argument and says, do you not know the world? Yes. And do you say, I am the world? No. Do you know the body? Yes. So why do you say, I am the body? And you can see the student going like this and then going, aha. But he says, but if it gets burnt, it hurts. If you burn that, it, that doesn't hurt. This hurts. Many people are nodding, that's as if that's a conclusive argument. <laughs> Watch this carefully. Shankaracharya's answer is stunning there. The student actually says, it hurts, it burns. When you burn the body, it burns. And Shankaracharya says, are you aware of the burning pain, the pain, the burning? Of course, there's nothing else in the world at that point I'm more aware of than that. If you're aware of that, that's also a drishya, you are the knower of that. You can't deny that. You see, so it still hurts. <laughs> it hurts, but the hurt is an object. You are that which knows that object. You cannot be that. You are neither the pain nor is the pain yours. It arises in the consciousness just like a cloud arises in the sky. Of course, one must see what Shankaracharya is driving at. Otherwise, he'll say, the cloud doesn't hurt the sky. The burn hurts me. It'll, it'll be a, like, like a monomania going on. It hurts. But you can use exactly this, this clarity, this insight. Actually, you can use it to deal with pain and suffering in the world. You can. The moment you think like this, a gap will open up between you and the pain. Why does the pain hurt? You say, Swami, that, that's synonymous. Pain and hurt are the same thing. No, they are not. They are not. Pain is a sensation. It's purely physical, purely mechanical. It's a bit of information relayed by a part of the body to your brain. That something is wrong here, take a look. That's all. It's an unpleasant sensation. But why is it so terrible? It's terrible for one reason alone. We say, it's my pain. I am hurting. That, I, that the pain is there, Vedanta does not deny. That you are aware of the pain, Vedanta does not deny. I am in pain, Vedanta denies vehemently. It's, it's philosophically 
it's uh, it's philosophically wrong completely wrong to say that which you are aware of you are that no no you are the knower of that you cannot be the pain any more than you can be this glass you're looking at the pain is not yours it's something that has come into your awareness if it were yours you would be able to hold on to it forever it goes away every pain comes in and hurts for a while and fades out again comes in maybe a little if you watch pain even from moment to moment it fades in and out of your awareness i attended this medical conference in calcutta before i came here uh, i was asked to give a talk vedanta perspective on pain so i went there and the whole conference there were more than 500 or 600 doctors working for 6 days and a uh, 3 days a 3 day conference they had usually the thing they do they book a entire convention center a big hotel and everything five or 600 doctors multiple parallel sessions running and all of them they're talking about pain uh, the subject was pain managing pain and uh, there were different sessions some to do with drugs some to do with therapies and so on one was to do with talk therapies psychological therapies to ma- manage especially manage chronic pain now one of the doctors pointed out something that was remarkable for me to see he drew these concentric circles a small circle a bigger circle a much bigger circle he says if this is the pain a person experiences chronic pain which pain which doesn't go away it's more or less there more or less every day of your life so if this is the pain a person experiences out of that this much is the pain of discomfort social disability the, the problems one might face one is expecting pain so when you expect pain and discomfort that's that part of the pain is this much and the inner circle inner big circle this much is the anxiety caused by pain it's going to hurt it's going to hurt because it's chronic you know it's going to come so it's going to hurt that anxiety is this that much of the pain the actual discomfort that comes when the pain is there for that period he says this much it's an amazing thing we never think of it that way we say my life is so horrible <laughs> this much and out of that this much is so the expectations of pain the the um, discomforts associated with pain the social disabilities associated with pain and then the inner circle is the anxiety regarding the pain that is going to hurt it's going to hurt it's bad it's bad and the tiny little circle there which is he was showing less than 5% or 6% of the total pain experience discomfort experience is the actual sensation of pain and that part only is what is going to be addressed by the by the uh, pharmaceuticals and then he said let me share a secret with you our pain medication does not work pain medication does not work i i we, most of us who are lay pe- people were not doctors he said what do you mean we saw the doctors nodding you know smiling sort of <laughs> and nodding he said that 40 to 50% of it is you can call it placebo effect or whatever you call it it doesn't work and the pain medication we give to patients in 40 to 50% of the cases there is no significant reduction of pain other than the placebo effect they feel sometimes better but really doesn't make much of a difference and he says this is a multi billion dollar industry all over the world we know it's not working and its other effects are very very bad indeed there was a talk on that so anyway there were a lot of talks on how to manage pain but you see 
Vedanta is saying this. Pain is an object. Can you see it as an object? Body is an object. I am the knower of the body. I am reminded of a story narrated by Swami Atulananda. He was an American, actually Dutch Swami, who came to uh, uh, America, a disciple uh, of, I mean, he followed Swami Vivekananda, but he was very close to Swami Turiyananda and Swami Abhedananda. And he went to India and he lived his whole life, rest of his life in India. An enlightened soul. Um, in one of his travels with Swami Turiyananda in India in those days, they were on a pilgrimage, I think to Haridwar or somewhere, in central India somewhere. And at night in a group of pilgrims, they were sitting and there was a, it was a cold night, a big fire was lit and they were talking about Vedanta. And you know, Swami Turiyananda was a staunch Vedantist. So he was talking very, very convincingly about Vedanta. And one of the pilgrims was sitting there, challenged the Swami. Swami, you keep saying that you are not the body. Do you really, are, do you really know that? He said, yes. And he said, so can you jump into the fire? And Swami, uh, Swami Turiyananda Atulananda writes there. It's, it's so thrilling and scary. He immediately, he became ex extremely excited and he got up and he, he thrust his hand. They, they said, can you put your hand in the fire and show us? And he thrust his hand towards the fire and he said, yes, I can. The hand will get burned, but it's nothing to me. And he thrust his hand into the fire and they, all of them jumped on him and pulled him back. You see the, 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 the sheer conviction. He's not talking about a miracle. That I'm a miracle worker, I'll walk into the fire, nothing will happen to me. Yeah, I'll get burnt. The body will get burnt. Yes, the body will get burnt. And that is nothing to me. He says clearly. There are these two ways of managing pain. One is the yogic way. One is the non-dualist, the, uh, the Vedantic way. The yogic way is this. The mind has a limited capacity, uh, a limited bandwidth. So it is only a limited number of things it can be aware of. Now if you concentrate the mind tremendously on something, it won't be aware of anything else. Yogis who are masters of meditation, they can concentrate their mind on the self or the, the or uh, the, uh, you know, the, form of the chosen deity. They can meditate so deeply, they can go into samadhi and they will be unaware, unaware of what's happening in the world or even what's happening to the body. So they'll be unaware of it. Um, there is a story of Swami Vivekananda in um, Kashipur garden house. The young Vivekananda, Narendranath, sitting and meditating. And if you sit there and meditate under the tree in India, the first thing that happens is even before the devotees arrive, the mosquitoes will arrive. <laughs> so the mosquitoes, they describe the mosquitoes covering his face. All the exposed skin covered with mosquitoes. And he's completely un unaware of it. He's sitting in deep meditation. How is that possible? Because of the, the way he has trained his mind to take a hundred percent of the cognitive bandwidth, the, the attention, and focus it on, on whatever he's meditating on. He's not aware. He will be aware when he comes out of meditation. <laughs> he, he'll pay the price, but uh, that's one way. That's the yogic way. And modern psychology corroborates that. In fact, all the work being done on attention, the best book is Mihai Chikzen Mihai's Flow. He shows how much attention um, he has even calculated in IT terms, 126 bits per second. That's the amount of uh, 
bandwidth available to us at every every moment, every second. And in, that's how, and parts of it we are distributing. A person who can concentrate, who has got tremendous amount of focus and concentration, is putting maybe 80 or 90 percent of that into a particular object of concentration. That's one way, the yogic way. The Vedantic way is, you are not using your mind to tune out the pain. You are letting your mind be. You are using Vedantic knowledge to see, to see in knowledge, in knowing that it's an object. Very interestingly, Swami Turiyananda, when he was, the famous case where he was operated, he was conscious. He refused an anesthesia. He was conscious. He was interacting with people, sitting there smiling. He was not in deep meditation. And yet, so he could feel the pain. And yet, he could not feel the pain. You see, he could see it as, as a thing there. He could lift his mind away from the pain, pain through knowledge. So there is a Vedantic way of dealing with it also. We may not be enlightened, but we can use this understanding, you can use it right away to see that it becomes a, a gap develops between you, the knower, and the pain, the object of knowledge. So the body is an object. Deho drishyataya sthitaha. And we say, it is my body. I am not the body. You see, this question of holding on to something. Um, guru and his disciple were once walking. And the disciple was just telling the guru, Oh, samsara has caught me. I am caught by samsara, by the world. Please free me from samsara. And they were walking. The guru walked up to a particularly big tree and held it, embraced it tight and said, Oh, the tree has caught me. Free me from the tree. Free me from the tree. The tree has caught me. And the disciple was flabbergasted. And then he said, but Swami, the tree doesn't catch anybody. You are catching a whole. Uh, you are catching the tree. Let go. The the guru said, "No, no, the tree has caught me. Free me from the tree." Even the more you tug the guru, this pretty hefty, strong guru, you can't really take him away from the tree. What can the poor disciple do? If only you would let. Could you just let go of your death grip on the tree? Then you'll be free. It'll be all right. That's the teaching. The Guru whirled around and turned upon the disciple and said, Exactly. You have caught hold of samsara. How? You think, I am rich. I am, I've got this so much money. Have you noticed, when you catch hold of something, you say, I have caught hold of it, but the thing is also caught hold of you. Now you can't go anywhere else. You're, you're right, right here because I have anchored myself to this thing now. You have to let go first yourself. Catch hold of money, money has caught hold of you. Catch hold of people in relationships, the relationship has caught hold of you. It doesn't mean you have to throw away money and throw away people from your life. But see it for a fact that you are holding on. Let, let go of that hold. As long as the money is, you have got karma for the money to stay, it will stay. As long as the relationship is going to last, it's going to last. And it will stay longer and relationship will last longer and better if you let go of the hold. The death grip which we have got upon it. Swami Vivekananda in his song of the Sannyasin. Swami Vivekananda, he says, Let go thy hold. Sannyasi bold. He says, Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. You are being dragged through life getting bruised and scraped and bleeding and screaming 
Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. Let go thy hold. There are different ways of letting go, go your hold. One way is the way of jnana where you see it for a fact that I am holding on. There's nothing here that holds me on. What can you hold on to in the world? Can you hold on to the body? No. In the Bible it is said, who by all his efforts can prolong his lifespan by, by even one moment? Nobody. Wealth? No, you cannot. The modern economy teaches us that. <laughs> the booms and the busts make a million then lose a million. You cannot. The economy takes a downturn or your business partner cheats you or you make a bad investment. The money is gone. Health, can you hold on to it? Somebody joked that we lo lose all our health making our money, then we spend all our m m money restoring our health. <laughs> you cannot. People, can you hold on to them? Grandparents, grandfather, grandmother, where are they now? Father and mother, they are either gone or they will go away. Husband and wife, children, grandchildren, friends, especially in this world when we move so much, we, come, we meet so many people. In the real world and now we have a virtual world. Yeah. Facebook, likes, <laughs> friend, daily making friends and unfriending them on Facebook. <laughs> you cannot hold on to anybody, it's an illusion. You cannot hold on to your, your body, you cannot hold on to a thought. You cannot hold on to this world also. It will disappear in a couple of hours when you go into deep sleep. It will disappear. Which, what guarantee is that it will come back again? No guarantee. Many people die in the sleep also. You cannot hold on to anything in this world. The statement that this is a world, it's an object, it has no connection to you. It's not something that you have to do. It's a fact. Recognize it. We turn our eyes from this fact. If you recognize this fa fact, no harm will come to you. Rather, you will get tremendous peace of mind and a tremendous freedom. A tremendous freedom. You are free of this world, and yet you hear here's this world, you can enjoy everything in it. It's right there before you. But don't hold on to it. Because you cannot. It will be taken away from you. Swami Vivekananda says, Give, for it shall be taken from you. Give willingly. Give a smile, good, give forgiveness, give good mercy, give good behavior, give money, give um, your service, give love. Otherwise, all those things will be taken away or the opportunities to give will go away. Okay. So, how can I be this body? I'm holding on to the body like the guru was holding on to the tree. But I'm not this body. It's an object of experience. So we'll stop here. Every day, I'm, I, every class, I sort of vow to move faster. At least five verses, but I end up doing two verses. But let's take a couple of questions now. There's a question there. Thank you. When you refer that I am an illusion, that I'm thinking, that I'm identifying myself as this body, as the world, as an object. Is it, 
are you referring to a sort of a fourth thing apart from the consciousness, the mind and the body? In the sense, when you say, I am in an illusion, the real I is not in an illusion. The mind is perhaps not. Okay. What, what's the fourth thing right, that you're referring right. to? The question here is that um, it's a standard question in Advaita and we should all, we will come to this or we should uh, take cognizance of this question. The pure I, the, the pure consciousness, Atman, Brahman, Satchidananda, whatever you call it, is not identified with the body, has nothing to do with the body. It is pure existence, consciousness, please. Then who is this I who is identified with the body? It is the jiva, the individual being. That's who we are. But that even that answer does not solve the problem. Because then you, you'll ask, who is the jiva? Who or what is the jiva? Is it just the body and mind? It cannot be just the body and mind. Is it the pure consciousness? It cannot be just the pure consciousness. It is the pure consciousness reflected in the mind as reflected consciousness, the reflected moon, forgetting its true nature, identifying itself with the uh, body and mind. So it is the pure consciousness, it reflected in the mind. This is called reflected consciousness, chidabhasa, and not knowing that I am the pure consciousness shining in the mind. None of it is wrong, none of it is bad. Or only thing that makes a big problem is not knowing the existence of myself as pure consciousness. All that we are aware of is body, mind and a consciousness and an awareness in the mind. The reflected moon only, not the real moon. Notice that the reflected moon is affected by the, the water. When the water is in waves, the moon will be wavy. When the water is polluted and dirty, the moon will, be, will not be reflected clearly. So the reflected moon is heavily affected by the medium of reflection. The real moon is completely unconcerned. So, it's a peculiar situation. The same question was asked to Shankaracharya a number of times and his answers are always uh, very interesting. In the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, second verse, there's a long commentary which talks about the real nature of the I, who, re who we really are. And uh, then the student finally asks this question then who is it the one who is in ignorance? That's the question. Body and mind cannot be in ignorance. They're insentient, they're objects. The pure consciousness, Brahman, is not in ignorance. Then who is the one in ignorance? To whom is all this happening? This is your question, in a uh, sort of rephrased. And Shankaracharya's answer is very, very interesting. He says, why do you ask? Why do you ask? And then uh, the student says, because I don't know. And he said, then obviously you are in ignorance. The question was, who is in ignorance? Shankaracharya says, why do you ask? He says, because I don't know, that's why I'm asking. So you are in ignorance. Who, so now if you say that, no, yeah, but who am I? That's what I'm telling you, that's what Vedanta is all about. <laughs> you can never really solve the problem at, at this level. And that's a sign that this is not a real problem to solve. The reality is beyond this problem. It, it, the problem in Wittgenstein's terms is not to be solved, it has to be dissolved. Yeah. Question. Yes, here's the question. Yeah. Just wait for the microphone. Yeah. So, I have a question about um, 
about actually being able to, in, in terms of, in terms of making or approaching this realization, yes. you have to, because obviously reason cannot, you can never with mere reason understand, you have to go beyond reason. And so you have to, at some level, get a, a lasting experience that proves to you that Maya is not real. That is the first step of actually taking, approaching that, because as long as Maya is real to you, you will always be attached. And the attachment, almost all of our actions are motivated by fear. The reason for why we cannot let go is because we are driven by fear, and that's part of the Maya. But at the same time, my, my question is that we know for a fact that our fear is because as homo sapiens, in this day and age, we're completely incorrectly programmed because we have a reptile brain, amygdala, sending all these stress signals all the time, keeping us in constant fear. But we know at the same time that the mind, the amygdala, is part of the maya, it's part of the illusion. But at the same time, that is needed to get us to go beyond the illusion. Do you kind of understand what I, I'm... I, I see. But I'll um, take you back to the way you began the question. Hmm. That obviously mere reason is not enough to free us from this. Yeah. Right. What role does reason play? And say, okay, it's philosophy and it gives us some understanding. But obviously it cannot set us free. I'll make a... Uh, dramatic and rather radical claim. Reason and only reason can set us free, nothing else. Why? Reasoning, this kind of reasoning, what does it produce? It produces knowledge. What is our problem? Our problem is ignorance. Mm -hmm. Knowledge removes ignorance. Nothing else will remove ignorance. All this reasoning is not to set up a philosophy. Understanding is very good, but more than understanding, you are expected to see that it is true. You see, our problem is that not that there is a real binding of you, the pure consciousness, to something called the body and mind. No, no. If there was a real binding, that it had to, has to be really cut, cut apart. You have to be freed from the world, from the body-mind. But really, you are not caught with the body-mind. You're like that guru who's catching hold of, the, hold of the tree. So really speaking, we are in no way connected to this body-mind or even to maya. This has to be seen. And that seeing, this process of reasoning is not philosophizing. It's not just some kind of uh, ratiocination, you know, logic chopping they call it. Oh no, no. They're taking us by the hand and making us see. Swami, I do see to in some extent, but it doesn't seem to be making much of a difference. There's a very beautiful passage in the Mundaka Upanishad, which answers your question, why does this reasoning not seem to work? Why does it seem to be reasoning only? Why does it seem to be only some kind of philosophy? Right? It doesn't seem to be very practical or doesn't seem to be making a difference in our lives. When will it make a difference? And the passage is very beautiful. It's about archery. In the Mundaka Upanishad, it goes something like this. Dhanur grihitva upanishadam mahastram, sharam upasa nishitam sandhaita, ayamyatad bhavagate na chetasa, lakshyam 
tadevaksharam saumya vidhi. It says, take up the bow and the arrow. You are called to fight a battle. What is the bow? The bow is the mighty bow of the Upanishad, Vedanta. Vedanta is the bow. Dhanur grihitva Upanishadam Mahastram, this mighty weapon of Upanishad, take it up. And then place upon it the arrow. Who or what is the arrow? You are the arrow. Who is you? You right now, what you, whatever you feel yourself to be. The mind actually. This being right now who is seeking liberation. Place yourself on that bow. What kind of you? Here is the answer to your question. Upasa nishitam. Purified and sharpened by meditation and selfless action. By the yoga, by karma yoga, the yoga of selfless action, by bhakti yoga, devotion to God, by raja yoga, by deep meditation. Especially it mentions meditation. Cleansed and concentrated. That's the meaning of straightening out the arrow and sharpening it. Such a straight and sharp arrow, in our terms, pure and concentrated. Place it on the bow. And then the target. What is the target? Brahman, pure consciousness. It's not there. It's right here. It's you. The real you is the target. The apparent you is the arrow. And it has been placed on the bow of this. Not this book, this knowledge. Having grasped and assimilated this knowledge, now what do you do? The next part is beautiful. Ayamya tadbhavagate na chetasa. Ayamya. Before you shoot an arrow, you need to pull it back on the bowstring. Pull it back, withdraw from the world outside. Turn your mind away from the five senses and the objects of the five senses. Back to the senses, from the senses back to the withdrawing the, the drawing the arrow. Back to the mind, to the intellect, beyond the mind, settle down there. And then he says, my dear child, Somya, Tadeva Aksharam, Laksham means the aim. And the aim is that unchanging existence consciousness bliss within you. The word Vidhi is very nice in Sanskrit. It means hit it unerringly. It also means know it. So this is the whole thing that's happening now. And this is a topic for my talk actually. I give you a little bit of the talk. That's my talk next month in uh, November. It's called Vedanta and the Art of Archery. <laughs> it's a rip-off rip of the Zen and the Art of Archery. They actually have something called Kyudo in Japan. Kyudo, which is they use archery for enlightenment. The goal is not to shoot anybody, but the goal is not even to hit the target. It is to perform the entire act of placing an arrow, drawing the, uh, uh, the bowstring, having a target, contemplating the target, and releasing the arrow completely. The whole thing is done in a state of very deep, uh, like, a, like a Zen trance. So Vedanta and the art of archery, wait for it. But yes, the answer is, it is possible. This knowledge, but you have to place the, the, the you have to sharpen the arrow and straighten out the arrow. And tadbhavagate na chetasa, the mind must be f intensely filled with this, these Vedantic ideas. Tadbhavagata means, tad means Brahman. Bhava means 
um, there's no adequate way of, way of translating bhava. Uh, it's a spiritual attitude. Attitude is too light a word. You are suffused with it. And then you release the arrow. And the next verse will say that um, you become one with with what? With yourself. And irrevocably. You see what happens is we release these blunt arrows. Goes and even, even in some cases, many cases misses the target. And some cases does hit the target. But it rebounds and falls down. Okay. Swami, I understood, but after I left the class, it's all gone again. <laughs> You're not one with the target. The arrow hit the target and bounced off and fell down and below the target. And some, of course, widely away from the bullseye, far, far away, goes off happily into, into space. Swami Ranganathanji often used to tell this story. After a long lecture on Vedanta in Delhi, uh, afterwards he came out and a lot of people were saying, wonderful lecture, Swami, wonderful lecture. This uh, very nice lady from, obviously from a village who has, uh, had come to listen to the talk and has said in Hindi, that was a wonderful talk, Swami. And then he said, so what did you like in it? And then she said in Hindi, oh, what do I know? All those are very big Vedantic talks. But anyway, it was good. <laughs> One person, it happened to me. One person after my talk, he, uh, people were standing outside and saying, that was a really good talk, Swami. And this person came up to me, and he's a friend of mine, very simple person, a very good person. He came up to me and said, yeah, it was a good talk. I really liked it. And if I could understand it, I would have liked it even more. <laughs> <laughs> we can take just one more question. Yeah, there's a question there. Swami, in uh, Bhajagovindam, Shankaracharya uses the word like nirmohatvam, right? Uh -huh. How can we use that to understand this concept of uh, non-duality, the confusion that you're talking about? Nirmohatvam is lack of delusion. Moha, delusion. So I am the body. I am the mind. This is who I am and nothing more than this. This is delusion. Right? I am existence, consciousness, bliss in which this body is appearing. And in this mind, it's appearing. In this mind, I'm reflected as a reflected consciousness. Perfectly all right. You can see that it's a fact. Then moha disappears. But when I limit myself to this body and mind, who am I? This body and mind. What is this body and mind? I. I am no more than this. This leads to delusion. I'm trapped within a little life. I am this little person. Born, changing, growing up, decaying, going to die. That's who I am. Then it leads to delusion. But more can be said about that. A whole talk can be based on nirmohatvam. At the highest level, our ignorance about ourselves is the greatest moha. That we do not know we are this non-dual existence consciousness place. That moha, that delusion has to be removed. That is called ajnana. So about moha, about delusion, an entire talk can be given. Thank you very much. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu